You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. We are continuing our series on Psalms 23. We have talked about Psalms 23 verse 1, establishing that in order for the rest of the Scripture to be fruitful and show up in our lives, we have to start with Psalms 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. In each scripture, we are talking and highlighting a name of God with each scripture so that we can learn the name and the attributes of God, of who He is and what He wants to do in our lives. So in Psalms 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, we learn that God's name there was Jehovah Ra, Lord is my shepherd. And so we saw that in verse 1, I shall not want is the immediate benefit, the first benefit as soon as you claim Jesus as Lord over your life, that you choose to abandon whoever else and whatever else you're following and follow the good shepherd, then the benefits of Psalm 23 follow after that. The first one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We saw verse 2 last week, the next two benefits, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And here we talked about another name of God, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. He is my provider. He is going to provide for me when I don't know how, when I don't know when, when I don't know the timing of it. The Lord, my provider, will provide. And we talked about how we get Nervous if God is going to tell us or make us or lead us to do anything, but the heart of God and what He wants to do as your shepherd is He wants to make you lie down and rest. Hopefully, you went home Sunday after that sermon, took you a nap, laid on the sofa, rest, propped up your feet, took a break, took a breather. Make it a priority in your life to spend some time with God and let Him rest and work on you, that He leads you besides not crazy ocean waves of water. He leads you beside the still, the peaceful, the calm waters, that when all the chaos is happening around your life and you feel like your world is out of control, He leads you besides the still waters, the peaceful waters. He provides for you. Jehovah Jireh. And today we are jumping into verse 3, halfway through Psalms 23, verse 3. We see two more benefits. He restores my soul. And the second benefit that we'll talk about today, He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And the name of God that we have for this scripture is an interesting name. It's Jehovah being God, and the, the name is Sid Canoe. It's got like one, one vowel and 57 consonants. Jehovah Sid Canoe is T S I D K E N U. And that name of God means the Lord our righteousness. And we're going to see today how the Lord is our righteousness. That scripture, when the first name is mentioned, Jehovah Sidkenu, is actually in the book of Jeremiah, verse 23, I mean chapter 23 and verse 6. 
And Jeremiah is a prophet, and he is talking about a messianic prophecy of the Messiah coming, of Jesus coming. And he makes this as God is speaking to him and through him. He says, the Lord says this, in his days, talking about the Messiah, talking about Jesus, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is, being Jesus, his name, the Messiah, his name, by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkenu, another name of God. God has many names, and those many names have different attributes. So we can see different aspects and sides of God of how he wants to interact with us. He wants to be our shepherd. He wants to be our provider. And here we see another name of God as he is calling himself, I want to be your righteousness. It's mentioned again, I don't have it listed in the scriptures up here, but if you want to look at it later, in Jeremiah 33, 16, 10 chapters later, is another scripture that references the Lord our righteousness. So we're going to talk about the fourth benefit of being in the sheepfold of the shepherd in Psalms 23, verse 3, it starts with, He restores my soul. He restores your soul. There's a TV show on TV, go figure, called American Pickers. I don't know if you've ever seen that show before. There's two guys, Mike and Frank, and what they do is they travel the nation They go to different people's places, and they pick, and they check, and they go into these old barns and these old houses. They basically help clean out the hoarder's nest of stuff. And as they walk into these houses and these properties, they start going through all of this old junk, and they start finding pieces that they feel that they can restore and make use of, and make money off of. And they can walk into this big barn, this big house, this big piece of property, and they'll only leave with a handful of things, five things, ten things at the max, and they work to restore it, and the show is based on them finding it, them restoring it, and then them seeing how much money they can make from selling it. But they don't go in there and take everything from the house because not everything to the natural man can be restored. There might be someone who has 10, 15, 20, 100,000 different types of signs, old gas station signs, Coca-Cola signs, but they'll only take one or two that they think they can fix or restore because let's be honest, We as humans can be judgmental at times, and we can look at 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100,000 different people and say, well, that person could be restored. That person could be helped. I don't know if that person could ever be helped. I don't know if they could be fixed, if they could be helped. And honestly, now in the show, Mike and Frank's relationship actually needs to be restored because they're not picking together anymore. They have two different people. So even in the show, their relationship can't be restored. Even in the natural, it looks like 
But that's not God's heart. That's not God's intent. God's intent is to anybody who reads this scripture, the simple statement that he says, as your shepherd, I restore your soul. He's not like the pickers and walk in and grab four or five people and say, well, I could work with these people, but this other group, I'm just going to leave them here in their trash, in their filth, in their decaying state and let them go. No, it's God's heart to restore all people. No matter the status, no matter the setup of your soul, good, bad, or ugly, it's his heart and his job as the shepherd to restore your soul. You can do a simple soul check today based on what emotional status you have been operating in here recently. How healthy is your soul? In that scripture, he restores my soul. The word soul there, if we need a definition to understand, well, I don't know if I can check my soul. That doesn't make sense. The definition for soul in Hebrew is nephesh, N-E-P-H-E-S-H, and it means your soul, yourself, a life creature, a person, an appetite, a mind, a living being, desire, emotion, passions. A definition for soul is that which breathes a set of emotion or passions. And if we get really confused, here's some good definitions for your soul. The activity of the mind, the activity of the will, and the activity of your character. We can do a quick check on our soul and find out if we have a healthy soul or not by looking at the last couple of motions that we have walked through in our lives. I text just like the rest of you, but I I haven't uh, really dove into the emoji world. But if I understand right, there's a way or a place that you can look to see your top five or your top ten. I got some yeses, so that makes sense. Emojis that you use the most frequently. Well, if you checked your soul, what would your top five emotions be? Would your top five characters or things in your mind be? Would it be fear? Would it be worry? Would it be anxiety? Would it be anger? Would it be frustration? Would it be disappointment? Would it be joy? Would it be laughter? Would it be peace? You can do a simple check on your soul by looking at the effects of your emotions? Is your soul healthy? You can check simply by looking at your surrounding area. I wrote down a couple. The loss of a loved one. The rejection of a family member. The love of a parent. The joy of a grandparent. The sting of a broken relationship. The gratitude for a healthy marriage, the empty feeling of being alone. That we can check and see where our soul and our emotions and our mind and our will is right now. And if it's not where it needs to be, that's okay. Because God says today, 
I restore souls. I am in the restoring of the soul business. I don't care how ugly it looks. I don't care how long you've been dealing with those emotions and those pains and those disappointments. It could be one day or it could be a hundred years. I am in the business of restoring your soul. I wrote this, that God has already written and paid for the prescription to fix and heal your soul today. So today would be, for you, the perfect day to go pick up that prescription and take it to receive healing for your soul. That word restore in the Hebrew is shub, S-H-U-W-B, and it means to return. God wants to return you back to when you had a healthy soul. It means to turn back, that you no longer keep walking in the same direction of dealing with those same emotions. Well, my parents, my grandfather, he was angry, and my mother, she was angry, and I'm angry, and I see some anger in my kids, so I guess we're just going to keep having anger filter through my family. No, no, no. He restores my soul, so therefore we're going to see some restoration of this. Another definition for restore means to bring back. Another definition for restore means to refresh. That maybe before that incident happened in your life or in your family's life, you were happy and you were joyful and you were having a good life, but something happened, something changed. And God's here today to bring a refreshing to your soul. I want to speak a couple of truths as we stay on this matter. Truth number one, God wants you refreshed, restored, prosperous, all of those things. God wants you. If God is in the business and he said in the scriptures, he restores your soul, then that must mean his desire is to see your mind, will, and emotions restored. He could have said a lot of things in that passage. He could have said that God forgot your soul. He said, well, I healed their spirit, I saved their spirit, there was something I forgot to do. I healed their bodies. By his stripes we are healed, but I forgot something. Oh, I forgot to heal their souls. He could have ignored your souls. Well, that's just something that they're going to have to deal with. I've done enough for them already. I've already saved their, soul, their spirit. I've healed their body. They can manage their soul. He could hate your soul. He could laugh at your soul. I can't believe you're going through this. What a joke. What an embarrassment. He could eat your soul, but he doesn't. The word that he chose to put in this scripture is that he restores your soul. He brings you back to restoration. 3 John chapter 1, verse 2, the prayer of John as he's speaking is a simple prayer, a prayer that you should pray over yourself and over your family. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper. That's a good prayer right there. I pray that you prosper. That's good enough right there. Beloved, I 
pray that you may prosper in all things. Oh, that's even a better prayer. I like that prayer a lot more. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. All right. All right. I like this prayer. This is a good one. That I prosper, that I prosper in all things and that I be in health. But God is a God of abundance. God is a God of more than enough. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Look at this. Just as your soul prospers. It's all intermingled and intertwined that God wants to see working in you and through you. For you to be a complete, healthy human being, to prosper in all things, in your health, we need that prayer now more than ever, and that my soul, my mind, my will, my emotions prospers. I could be the healthiest person out there, but if I'm an angry, mean person, nobody wants to be around me. If I'm a Debbie Downer, nobody wants to be around that person. Man, today's a good day. It's sunny. It's shining. It's beautiful. be great to go on a walk. Yeah, but it's supposed to rain tomorrow. What, what? Okay, well, have fun with that. Bring an umbrella. We see throughout the Scriptures that God continually helps people in their souls. Think about the very beginning of Adam and Eve. They have two sons. One is murdered and one is a murderer. That's a good family dynamic right there when there's only four people there. Murderer and murderer. We see David as he goes through the things in his life. As God speaks to him. We see the pain and the hurt in the journey of Peter. As he denies Christ. And he restores him. Do you love me? Feed my sheep, it says in John. You know I love you, Father. If you love me, feed my sheep. If you love me, feed my sheep. The journey of Paul, as he's this religious leader and everybody looks up to him and he's the smartest in the room and he knows the Bible or the scriptures at that time. And he gets knocked off his horse. He recognizes, Lord, is that you? What are you doing? What are you saying? And the journey that he goes on. God has a track record of healing and using people with damaged souls throughout the Scriptures. And if He did it once for any human, then He cares about it enough to do it in your current status, to restore your soul. Number two, the second truth that we have is that God does the restoration. God does the restoration. He restores my soul. So it's God's intent and His purpose to restore souls, and then God takes on the responsibility to do the restoration as well. That he's not just going to say, hey, I restore souls, and here's how you do it. He's also in the restoration business. If I bought a car that was damaged, didn't have an engine, and then I gave it to my son and said, hey, Good luck, buddy. You put that together, that'll be your car in 16 years. My six-year-old son is going to have no idea what to do. How do I restore a car? How, how do I fix the tires? How do I fix the engine? 
It's not a very good father. But we have the great father, the great shepherd, the overseer of our soul, who takes that destroyed vehicle, that old vehicle, that worn down, broken vehicle, and he says, not only am I going to fix and buy it with my son's blood, I'm going to fix it and restore it. I'm going to get all the parts, and I'm going to tweak it, and I'm going to fix it so that it'll be well-working and moving and functional and go in life. God does the restoration. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 25, the Lord is speaking, and He says, For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every, every, every sorrowful soul. Is there sorrow in your heart today? God's already got the plan to replenish and help that. Are you tired? It's been a long couple of years. With a weary soul, he restores, fixes, fills up a weary soul. There's these creatures that are out there that people have talked about and we've had various pictures of or stories of. They're folklore stories. The, the main ones would be like Bigfoot or Loch Ness. That there's these ideas of these big creatures that are out there that, that people are so desperately trying to find. We've got these grainy videos of Bigfoot walking in the forest. And a couple years back, I say a couple, it was probably a decade or so ago, there was a guy that came out that said he killed a Bigfoot and he put him in his freezer. I don't know if you remember that. And the news came, and he kind of showed the freezer, kind of opened it up a little bit, and all you saw was this big block of ice with something hairy in it. And the big thing was he wanted to defrost it and then do it on live TV so we could see the body of Bigfoot. But he wouldn't defrost it. He kept it plugged in. And the news media kept kind of hounding him and talking to him, and finally they defrosted it or checked it out, and it was a suit that he had just put in water and froze. Pictures of Loch Ness out there that people want to think that there's this giant sea creature in England that's swimming around. In, in Louisiana, there's a, a, a famous one out there, and it's, it's called a Rougarou, R-O-U-G-A-R-U. I'm not speaking in tongues. It's an actual name. And it's believed, the folklore stories of this Rougarou is that it's got the body of a man but the head of a wolf or a dog and it's funny, they, they tell them in the Louisiana culture, uh, they tell the kids that if they misbehave, this creature that hides in the swamps is going to come and get them. Don't let the Rougarou come get you, so you need to go to bed. You need to go pick up your toys. As I was reading about it, they even say that the Rougarou will go out and, and kill Catholics who disobey during Lent. So, I mean, they're really trying to, <laughs> really trying to get them. There's these creatures that are out there that people are so hoping are real that stories have been told about them. You know, there's one even here in South Carolina in Lee County on the other side, the east side of Columbia. It's called the Lizard Man. I don't know if you ever heard of this fella. The Lizard Man of Scapor Swamp. In 1980, there was a local boy by the name of Christopher Davis. 
who had damage to his car, young 17, I think, 18, 17-year-old, had damage to his car, came home. Supposedly there was blood on his car or claw marks on his car, some damage to his car. And he told his parents and he told the cops that there was this creature that came out of the swamps that he hit or that attacked his car. 17-year-old, I've, when I was in high school, college, I got in some wrecks. And if I could have used the great lizard of the swamp to tell my parents how the car got damaged, I would have done the same thing. So he told them that there was this green web-like creature around seven feet tall, three fingers, red eyes, skin like a lizard, and snake-like scales that destroyed his car. How are the cops or his parents going to be mad at him when the swamp creature almost killed their beautiful little 17-year-old boy, but all they did was scratch and destroy the front end of his car? There's these folklore stories that we want to believe and we want to see, but we don't know if it's true. And I believe the same is true in our own lives, that He restores our soul. You're sitting there today, and you're saying, I want to believe that story. I've been hurting for so long. I've been in pain for so long. My emotions are out of whack. My mind is going crazy, and I want Him to restore my soul. I've asked for help. I've looked for help. I've done all these things. Is this really true? God's restoration is not a hoax. It's not a possibility, but a reality. And He wants to restore you and complete you in your soul. It isn't a tall tale or a fable. If you seek after Him, He will give you His restoration. You'll find it. Here's some practical steps to help you. If you're saying, I need restoration in my soul, here's some simple things tied to Scripture to help you. Number one, ask and pray. That sounds like a good idea. Ask and pray to God for wisdom. God, how can you help restore my soul? And in James chapter 1, I don't have these scriptures. I'm just going to list them off to you, and you can go back and read them. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 says, If any of you lack wisdom, then ask God, and He will give it to you liberally. But there's a caveat, it says in verse 6, that you must ask in faith. If you want restoration to your soul, then why not ask the restorer? If I want to go and restore a vehicle, then I'm going to go ask someone who's restored that vehicle. I'm going to go watch a YouTube video on someone who's restored that vehicle so I can learn how to do it. Ask and pray God for wisdom. Another practical step for a restored soul is to forgive. Forgive. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, it encourages you to forgive. There's some knots that almost feel like are tied in your soul, in your heart, because you haven't forgiven that person in that relationship, in that encounter, in what they did to you. I'm not saying what they did to you was right or wrong. I'm asking you to forgive them and release that knot out of your soul and be restored. Another practical step is one real easy is to laugh. Nehemiah 8, 10 says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you need strength in your soul, we've got to learn to laugh. We've got to learn to smile. In Proverbs 17, 22, it says, A merry heart does good like medicine. A merry heart, a joyful heart, 
does good like medicine, that we take time to stop and enjoy and laugh. That I can watch my kids, and one of the many emotions that I express in raising kids is just laughing with them and at them. The things they do, the things they don't do, but learn to laugh. Here's another practical step. Find scriptures that come against the negative. Get in the book and find some scriptures that come against the negative thoughts, the negative emotions. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, not anger, frustration, and hatred. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that the Word is active and breathing, it's living, and it will divide even soul and spirit. The Word is designed to pierce and affect your soul. Proverbs 18, 21, you hear me say this scripture all the time, that life and death is in the power of the tongue, and you will eat of the fruit thereof. Whatever you're saying is where your life is going. So why not be saying what God says? Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of God. So what are you hearing and what you should be hearing is the word of God. A long time ago, God spoke to me at the beginning of the year, five, six, seven years ago, and he gave me the simple instructions. Get the word in your heart and get the word out of your mouth. Learn the scriptures and get them inside your heart, but as soon as you learn them, get them out your mouth and speak them and watch your life change. Two more practical steps, help others. When we have a damaged soul, it's so easy to go internal and hide in my house, hide in my own little cocoon, in my own little cave. But when you go out and you help others and you see that other people are hurting and you might have the answer, well, you have the answer. His name is Jesus. To go out and help others. You can see that in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. And the last practical step to help you in a God-restored soul. There's more that are out there. These are just a few that you can apply to your life starting today. Is be active. Be active. When you're dealing with a, a damaged soul, when you're dealing with depression, when you're dealing with isolation, when you're dealing with being alone and wanting to be alone and crawling in bed and putting the covers over, just go out and be active. Look at uh, Psalms. I actually have this scripture on the TV. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, you, talking about God, will show me the path of life because in your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you're dealing with emotions, if you're dealing with mental, if you're dealing, go out and be active. You might not be able to go into the gym and throw up a whole bunch of weights. In my case, if I do push up any types of weights, I'm probably going to throw up because I haven't. But I can go in my backyard and I can run a couple of laps in the back lot. I can do a couple prison workouts. I can do some push-ups, some sit-ups, some crunches in the house so you don't see me passed out and throwing up on the side of the road when you drive by and laugh at me. Just go out and be active. Go on a walk with your spouse. Go on a walk with your kids or your grandkids. Get some sunshine. Don't stay in that hidden cover in bed. And He will show you the path of life. 
and in His presence, spending time with God, just walking and talking with God, it says there's fullness of joy. That's an emotion that can change, that can be pulled out of. Sadness can be removed, and instead, fullness of joy can be put in. This is a great transition to the next benefit as we finish up. The fifth benefit is in Psalms 23, verse 3, says, He leads you in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Jehovah Sid Canoe, our righteousness, is the only one that can lead us as humanity on the path of righteousness. I'm going to take you through about five scriptures of the writings of Paul, and I'm going to show you how we have been brought down the path of righteousness. And it seems like it's a pretty important thing to Paul to teach us and show us the importance of us understanding that we are righteous. Romans chapter 3, verse 10, starting with the first scripture, Paul is writing and he's quoting a scripture out of Psalms, Psalms 14, verse 3. He's quoting, he's talking to the church of Rome, the Gentiles, and he quotes in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Yay, amen. That's a great way to start the path of righteousness. There is none righteous, no, not one. One, we have to understand that we cannot, in our own ability, become righteous. There's nothing that we can do, there's nothing we can say, there's nothing that we can give, there's nothing that we can do to become righteous. Paul is referencing that in Romans. He's saying there's none that is righteous, not even one. There's nothing that humanity can do to find or walk the path of righteousness. In the regular dictionary, righteousness means to be free from guilt or free from sin. Another definition out of Webster's Dictionary is that righteousness means to be morally right. A definition that I have for righteousness is to have right standing with God, to be right standing with God. We have to understand this truth that righteousness is a position that we stand in, not an emotion that we feel, not a part of our soul. Righteousness is a part of our spirit. I can feel angry sometimes, and I can feel joyful other times. Righteousness is not an emotion where when I'm in church, I feel righteous because I'm doing a good thing. And oh no, I sinned, now I don't feel righteous. righteous. Righteousness is a position, not an emotion. Paul starts out by telling us there's none righteous, no, not one. Nobody in humanity is righteous, and we need help to figure out how to get down this path of righteousness, which we see in Psalms 23, where he says he leads us down the path of righteousness. He knows we can't do it on our own, so therefore he's going to lead us and show us how to walk in righteousness. 
God has to lead us to the path of righteousness so humanity could find it and receive it. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. I've quoted this scripture before. I'm going to quote verse 16. We don't have it on there. We'll go into 16. Romans 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then we pick up in Paul writing in verse 17. He says, For it is... For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then in verse 17, for in it, talking still about the gospel, the gospel message that Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures, He was buried in a tomb, and He rose again the third day. That when you hear the gospel message, then the path of righteousness is revealed to all of humanity. Here is the path of righteousness. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. The righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel message and what Jesus has done. So we understand in our own state, in our own personal way, when we are born, we are not born righteous. We are born sinners. We are born under the the seed of Adam. He did the sin, and ultimately we were all born as sinners. God understood that that we couldn't walk in that path of righteousness. So he says, I'm going to have to do some work. I'm going to have to do something to help change humanity's path from the path of sin, death, hell, and the grave to the path of righteousness. He writes, Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, verse 5, but to him who does not work but believes on him being Jesus who justifies or makes righteous the ungodly. Look at this. His faith, humanity's faith, is accounted for righteousness. Okay, all of a sudden I'm starting to see the path that He's creating and He's leading me and He's guiding me on. In my own natural state, there is none righteous, no, not one. Then God says, you know what? I'll make the decision. I'll make the gospel. I'll send my Son and my righteousness will be revealed to humanity. So now that the righteousness is revealed, that doesn't mean I have it. It's just been revealed. So how can I get it? How can I go down that path of righteousness? How can I have right standing with God? How can I be free from guilt? How can I be free from sin? How can I have this right standing with God? And Paul describes it here in Romans 4 verse 5. He says, there is no work that you can do. The only thing that you can do is believe. And as soon as you believe, then your faith is accounted to you as righteous. Paul is saying in writing to the Gentiles that there is no work that you can do, but when you believe in the one who did all the work on the cross, when he's the one that yelled out, it is finished, he did all the work. And God says when you believe on the one who did all the work instead of doing the work, then it's accounted to you as righteous. Two more scriptures. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16 talks about being justified. Justified means to be made righteous. That is the definition. 2, verse 16 says, knowing, this is Paul writing to a completely different church, the church of Galatia. He's saying, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. So now he's saying, 
Now he's bringing in the old covenant. He's bringing in all the rules and the regulations of the old covenant. He talked about in Romans just any work. There's nothing that you can do to be made righteous. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't give enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't do anything work-wise to be made righteous except believe in the one who did all the work, believe in Jesus and the gospel. Now he's bringing in the law. Now he's bringing in the old covenant. He's saying, knowing that a man is not justified, is not made righteous by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus. Go back one. Thank you. <laughs> that we might be justified by faith in Christ Jesus and not by the works of the law. Look at this. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be made righteous. So there is no way of you obeying the old covenant or obeying the old laws, it says. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be made righteous. So listen to this. If you obey the law and it doesn't make you righteous, then what happens when you break the law? The same thing has to be true. If you you can't be made righteous by obeying the law, then you can't be made unrighteous by breaking the law. This is how powerful the righteousness of God truly is. If I can't gain my righteousness by doing a bunch of works, if I can't gain my righteousness by following all the rules and regulations of the old covenant, then the opposite must also be true. I can't lose my righteousness because I broke the law or sinned. The last scripture that I have is the great exchange, the second exchange that we talked about, a scripture that I love and quote all the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him, God made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin, no sin at all, to be all the sin, to be all of your ugly, disgusting, the worst sin you can think of and the worst sin you've ever committed, he made him who knew no sin to become that sin. So look at the great exchange that he does, that we, being humanity, might become the righteousness of God, a position. Jesus is righteous. And Jesus decided to give up his righteousness and take on all of your sin so that you could give up all your sin so you could receive his righteousness. Right standing with God. Your account has been cleared. I'm not an accountant, but your ledger has been zeroed out. No matter how much sins you had on that ledger, he put his price in his blood of his son on that ledger and it zeroed out. And then you've got a positive in your ledger called righteousness. And it says, he leads us down the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You received and inherited the righteousness of Jesus. And you can believe it or not believe it. This is what the scripture says. You, in God's eyes, are just as righteous as Jesus. And if that doesn't give your soul restoration, that Jesus gave us his own righteousness so that when God sees us and leads us down the path of righteousness, he sees us 
just like how he sees Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. I once was a sinner, but he became sin so that I no longer have to identify or be called a sinner. I am now called righteous, not because of what I did, not because of any work that I did, but because I believed in the one who did all the work for me. My Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord is my righteousness. The Lord is your righteousness. He's in the restoring business, and he wants to restore your soul today if you let him. Amen? Hopefully you learned. Hopefully you grew. Hopefully you'll put into practice. Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. Next week, we will talk about Psalms chapter 23, verse 4. Let me pray over you as we head out. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you called yourself our righteousness and that you lead us down paths of righteousness for your name's sake because of what your son did and how you blessed us. Father, I know that there are people here today who have weary souls, who have tired souls, who have hurting souls, who have damaged souls. And Father, I thank you that you're in the restoring business, that we don't have to deal with the pain of our mind, will, and emotions anymore, that we can offer those up to you. We can ask you for your wisdom. We can ask you for your grace. We can ask you for your mercy to help us as we walk through the restoration of our soul. Father, these people need refreshing. These people need to be turned back to when they left, when they had joy, when they had peace, when they had kindness in their heart. Father, they need to be restored back to those wonderful times. Maybe they never even had them through the damage of their lives growing up and their family and their parents and the way they were raised and the things that they went through. They might not have ever experienced a restoration of their soul, and they don't know how to go about it, but God, today, start Start a work in them. Satiate their weary soul. Father, help them prosper in all things. Let them be in health even as their soul prospers. Father, I thank you that you lead us and guide us in a path of righteousness, a right standing with you. That in my mind, I know all the sins that I've committed. I know all the faults and the failures that I've done. But in your eyes, it says you've washed us white as snow. In your word, it says you've removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. It says in your word that you have chosen to forget our sins forevermore. Father, we thank you for sending your son and leading us and guiding us and showing us the path of righteousness. That we no longer are sinners as soon as we believe in Jesus, but we receive his righteousness. A right standing with you where you are proud of us, you are happy. It says in your scriptures that you're not ashamed to call us your brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you for the people here. I thank you they are blessed and highly favored in Jesus' name. I thank you that everything they put their hands to prospers. Father, I thank you for those that aren't here, that are out because of traveling or sickness or for whatever reason. I thank you that you're with them, you're blessing them, you're healing them, you're restoring them. Father, I thank you for each and every person here that we are the salt and light of the earth and we are going to push darkness back everywhere that we go. Father, bless your people, protect your people, and cause them to prosper this week. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Take care, family. 
Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC and have a great week.